In screenwriting seminars across the globe, aspiring screenwriters are often told to write what they know. And yet, for some reason, many of them end up writing about robots and asteroids decimating Midtown Manhattan. Or caped crusaders racing across the universe to defend our way of life against alien tyranny. To which I ask, what could they possibly know about guarding the galaxy from a motley crew of space pirates? The flippant answer would be that none of us have ever actually come face to face with the Ravagers, so how would we know what it would be like? Which I suppose is part of the function of fiction, to bring us into worlds of which we know very little, and then smash them up. But there is one thing we all know, and that's what it was like to be in school. So by my reckoning, the school drama is most likely the harder one to deliver. We were all there, and we remembered the boring teachers, and the bullying teachers, the teachers who told us we would never amount to anything, and the headmaster who aspired to being a dictator. We all recall the cliques amongst the student body, the anxiety about our own bodies, the growth spurts, the crushes, and the acne breakout just before that crucial party. But now that we've left school, we've left all those things far behind. Which is another thing screenwriters are taught. In his poetics, Aristotle originated the idea of catharsis. That, through drama, the audience purifies itself by witnessing the profound changes the principal characters undergo. Cowardly to courageous, coy to confident, cruel to kind. Or in tragedy, the other way around. In so doing, Greek theatre was condensing a lifetime's worth of change down to the few hours it took for the drama to unfold. And both of those points bring me to that magnificent anthem about teenage freedom, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Does Ferris Bueller change? Not one iota. Let's face it, Ferris is great fun. So what I say next is by no means a criticism of the film for betraying a set of principles it had no part in drawing up. I'm simply pointing out how John Hughes, the film's writer and director, departed from Aristotle's ideals and how his film was all the better for it. What's the matter, Ferris? Papa? Honey, feel his hands. They're cold and clammy. Mm. I'm fine. I get up. No. No. I have a test today. No. I have to take it. I want to go to a good college so I can have a fruitful life. Ferris does what he likes. But let's face it, I doubt whether you would really want him as a friend. Could you rely on him? Would he ever oblige you a favour? Or would he have always made you feel indebted to his coolness, his insouciance, his, well, lack of concern as to whether you were there or not? So long as Ferris was basking in his own vainglorious fun, everything would be okay. He's rather self-centred, a huckster who knows how to play the system to his own advantage, someone who would do anything to get out of a sticky situation, and most likely leave you in it. Cameron, this is my ninth sick day. If I get caught, I won't graduate. I'm not doing this for me, I'm doing it for you. Do you know what my diastolic is? Be a man. Take some Pepto-Bismol, get dressed and come on over here. I'm tired of this stuff which is exactly what he does with Cameron Fry, the person he calls his best friend. The 1961 Ferrari 250 GT, California. Less than 100 were made. My father spent three years restoring this car. It is his love, it is his passion. It is his fault he didn't lock the garage. 
Ferris, what are you talking about? <laughs> Ferris, my father loves this car more than life itself. A man with priorities so far out of whack doesn't deserve such a fine automobile. And that brings me to what I think the film is really about. It's not about Ferris Bueller or his day off. John Hughes had already given us a masterpiece about teenagers, The Breakfast Club, which was a sardonic title about Saturday morning detention. And had John Hughes given this film a title that told us what it was really about, he would have called it The Day Cameron Fry Killed His Father's Car. It would have been more in keeping with both Aristotle's ideas about drama and indeed John Hughes's penchant for examining teenage angst. Because you see, Ferris has no angst, which accounts for a lot of his cool detachment. Cameron Fry, on the other hand, is, well, let Ferris describe him. Pardon my French, but Cameron is so tight that if you stuck a lump of coal up his ass, in two weeks you'd have a diamond. Now let's compare what Ferris says at the beginning of the film. Life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And what he says at the end. Yep. I said it before and I'll say it again. Life moves pretty fast. You don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. And contrast that to the first time we see Cameron lying as if in a sarcophagus, intoning the lament of the Hebrew slaves. When Cameron was in Egypt's land Let my Cameron go And then think of that rage he finally unleashes at the end and the resulting declaration. I am not going to sit on my ass as the events that affect me unfold to determine the course of my life. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to defend it. Right or wrong, I'm going to defend it. Another thing that Aristotle wrote about in Poetics was that the drama should be confined to one space and unfold in real time. And while Hughes didn't strictly adhere to that principle, several of his films did operate within restricted time frames. Planes, Trains and Automobiles took Steve Martin and John Candy from New York to Chicago, but that journey took place over three stressful days leading up to Thanksgiving. Weird Science took place in the fictitious Chicagoan suburb of Shermer over the course of one weekend, while The Breakfast Club unfolded in the library of Shermer High School over the course of nine hours. How are you today, sir? Well, we've had a bit of bad luck this morning, as you may have heard. Yeah, I heard, and oh, I'm all broken up. Boy, what a blow. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, it's been a tough morning, and uh, we've got a lot of family business to take care of, so if you wouldn't mind excusing Sloan, I'd uh, appreciate it. Well, uh, sure, yeah, I'd be happy to. Yeah, you, uh, you, you just produce a corpse, and uh, I'll release Sloan. I want to see this dead grandmother firsthand. It's all right, Grace. It's Ferris Bueller, little twerp. I'm going to set a trap and let him fall right into it. Uh, uh, Ed, I'm, I'm sorry. Did, did you say you wanted to see a body? Yeah, that's right. Just uh, roll her old bones on over here and I'll dig up your daughter. You know that school <laughs> policy. Oh? Uh, was this your mother? Uh, n- no, my wife's mother. Ed Rooney's office. Hi, this is Ferris Bueller. Can I speak to Mr. Rooney, please? One of the reasons why we like Ferris is because he does things that most of us didn't dare try to do in school. He skips class, mocks authority, 
especially those who don't merit that position. But Ferris also has a smug sense of entitlement, and that comes from a set of parents who so dote on their son that they are blind to his mischievous ways. And because Ferris never gets caught, he never learns the limits of those mischievous ways. Cameron, on the other hand, is the son of parents who seem to be completely unaware of his existence. His father loves the Ferrari 250 GT California Spider more than he does his wife. And Cameron's mother, well, she has so neglected the emotional well-being of her son that he is only really happy when he is ill. You want to get married? Sure. Today? I'm serious. <laughs> I'm not getting married. Why not? Why do you mean, why not? Think about it. Well, no, besides being too young, having no place to live, you feeling a little awkward about being the only cheerleader with a husband. Give me one good reason, why not? I'll give you two good reasons why not, my mother and my father. When the film was first released, some critics dismissed it in condescending terms. But young audiences recognised its virtues instantly. And as each anniversary of the film's release rolled around, and as Ferris Bueller would have rolled into his 40s, there was talk of a possible sequel. Thankfully though, Hughes never agreed to it, because I think he knew full well what Ferris would have grown up to be, a self-absorbed man-child. I'm actually amazed that I got the car out of the garage. I caught Cameron digging the ride once or twice. It's good for him. It teaches him to deal with his fear. Plus, and I must be honest here, I love driving it. It is so choice. If you have the means, I highly recommend picking one up. Hughes was renowned for being an intuitive and swift writer, and on Ferris Bueller, he was probably at his quickest. Consider these dates. He pitched the idea to Paramount Pictures on February 26, 1985. Given the green light, Hughes then went off and wrote the 98-page script in six days. Why so fast? Because the Writers Guild of America was threatening strike action. With that first draft, the film went into production some six months later. While on set, Hughes did allow for some improvisation from his great cast, led by Matthew Broderick, Alan Rook, Mia Sara, Jennifer Grey and Jeffrey Jones. But it wasn't until they had finished filming that the script finally received its rewrite. Or, more accurately, it was simply edited. Paul Hirsch, who had won an Oscar some eight years earlier for editing Star Wars, called back on what had been shot, jettisoning some subplots, for instance. From the finished film, you would never know that Ferris had a younger brother and sister. One reason why Hirsch was able to surgically remove those scenes and not leave any scars is because Hughes had structured his screenplay around a series of sequences. Set pieces which were so strong they could almost stand on their own. Think of the trips to Wrigley Field. The Stock Exchange, Chicago's Museum of Modern Art, Sears Towers, and who could forget that downtown parade? Which brings me back to where I started. 
Hughes was making films about what he knew. And because we know it too, Ferris Bueller's Day Off still feels real. It's very fun, it's very cool, and it's very much the reason why I'm not going to work tomorrow. Twist that child, twist that child, go, go, go.